Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Highway Community Podcast. Uh, We're so glad to have you with us wherever it is that you are tuning in from. At Highway, we believe that as followers of Jesus, we're called to live as sent missionaries in our neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, and among the least of these, and that community plays a vital role in that. If you want to join us as we live into Jesus's greatest commandment to love God with our whole selves and to love our neighbors as ourselves, you can head over to highway.org and click engage in the upper right-hand corner to connect with one of our different ministry areas or click connect to reach out to one of our pastors with a question or a prayer request. Whether you're in the Bay Area or not, we'd love to connect with you. And this morning, we're continuing on in our series called Highway Volume 2, digging into this new thing that God is doing in and through us as a church community. We've spent the last three weeks looking at some core components of who we feel called to be as a church as we follow Jesus's example. And I'm just reminded again that these are simple things, that they're not fancy, and they're pretty straightforward. And that doesn't mean that they're easy, though. And so these really represent invitations into a lifelong journey. And that starts with being a community deeply connected to the Father, to be intentional about creating space in our lives on a regular basis to connect with God in a way that opens us up to what God wants to talk to us about and work with us through. It was vital for Jesus to do this. We'll even see him do that in our message today. And so how much more so for us? We need to live grounded in the reality of God's presence with us and unconditional love for us so that we can step into the things that he's called us to do with humility, with courage, and with love. Because we also want to be a community that pursues Jesus's mission in the world, that embodies the good news for the poor, recovery of sight for the blind, release for the prisoners, freedom for the oppressed. Like not just say it, but live it out by focusing our lives outward and into the kinds of things that Jesus did. And we want to be a community that does these things together because there has always been a role, a way that God works through his people, through us, to tell the story of his goodness, of his love in the world, as together we live into Jesus, into what Jesus said was most important, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And this is our foundation to build from to live into Jesus's greatest commandment together. Simple, relatively straightforward, (laughs) not easy though. This is a lifelong journey. And that's another reason why we do these things together, because this is a journey that's best taken together. But how do we know it's working? And with time, what should we start to see? You know, there's all sorts of external metrics that we could consider. Uh, That can be problematic, though, uh, for reasons that actually tie into what we're talking about today. And and so rather than focus on external metrics, over the next few weeks, we want to focus on character, the kind of character that should be forming in us over time as God works in and through us. And, And that character is really important because it directly affects how we go about pursuing Jesus' kinds of things in the world. We don't have to look too hard, uh, even within the Christian tradition or in the Israelites' history, uh, to find stories of people wanting to do a good thing, actually having a pretty good idea, uh, but that character piece wasn't there, that flows from that deep connection to God's heart. And so what came out the other side actually wound up perpetuating more brokenness, creating more suffering, 
that rather than being a part of God's restoration and making all things new. So that character piece is really important. And over time, we should start to be able to feel it and to recognize it. And so what does a community connected to the Father in pursuing Jesus' mission in the world, what does Highway Volume 2 look and feel like? What character should be being formed in us? And that's the conversation that we'll start today and continue over the next few weeks. As we get started, would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the opportunity to gather even digitally, uh, even through listening together through this podcast. God, I pray that you would open us up to whatever you would have for us today, uh, that you would help us offer our whole selves to you, and that your character would be formed in us. We love you. We pray these things in and for your name. Amen. I love getting to watch stories play out over the course of a film or the arc of a television series. You know, sometimes those stories are super deep, and other times it's just watching Motel Makeover on Netflix, which we just finished, by the way. Uh, Regardless of what kind of story is being told, I love it when we get more of a character's backstory. Uh, You know, a window into why they are the way that they are. It makes them more three-dimensional, more human, more relatable. And sometimes uh, we can even see a bit of ourselves in them. And I love getting to trace the arc of a character's development as the story unfolds. And my favorite stories are when that arc is one of redemption. In one place that God has constantly been moving his people throughout history, one arc of redemption in our collective story is the journey towards humility. It's a part of the character that God wants to form in us. A few things have more of a direct impact on how we pursue Jesus' kinds of things in the world. A few things have more of a direct impact on the way we relate to God and each other than humility. And for a really, really, really long time, it has been really, really, really hard for the people of God to get it right. And to help draw that out for us, I want us to look at an interaction that Jesus has early one morning in the temple courts. And then to hear some backstory and to get to know the characters a little bit. And so that maybe we can see some of ourselves in them as we ask God to show us where we are on our own journeys towards humility. If you've got a copy of the scriptures with you, uh, please turn or tap your way to John chapter 8. This passage features a familiar cast of characters, Jesus and the Pharisees, who by this point have gotten all weird and antagonistic towards Jesus and his message as they were trying to uphold a standard and convictions that they felt strongly about. And Jesus just kept messing it up. And so they tried to trap him in a scenario that would, in their minds, expose him as the fraud that they think that he is. And this passage is such a beautiful representation of the way that God walks with us, with everyone, through our own brokenness. You know, the posture that God takes with us when we're confronted and exposed in our own sin. And may it both comfort us today and challenge us to do the same. Because this passage is also, in a lot of ways, a heartbreaking reminder of why God's character being formed in us, you know, that flows from that deep connection with God, is so important. Read with me John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. But Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives 
Okay, we're only going to make it one verse before we stop, because uh, I have to point this out. Uh, does that place sound familiar to you, perhaps? Uh, can you think of another time Jesus went to the Mount of Olives? Uh, this is where Jesus went the night of his arrest, you know, where Luke gives us that little sneak peek in chapter 22, verse 39, where he writes, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. This was a place that Jesus regularly went to connect with his father. And this passage in John 8 starts with Jesus doing that very thing, living into that rhythm of making space to be with God. And from that place of connectedness, and I can't stress that enough, from that place of connectedness, he navigates what's about to happen. Continuing in verse 2, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. Can you imagine how horrible that experience must have been? They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. See, I, I think they knew what Jesus was going to do. And it's both ironic and sad that the way they thought they were going to trap Jesus in the lie that he wasn't, in fact, the Son of God was to prove him to be more compassionate, more gracious, more forgiving than they knew that he should be in that moment with that person who had done that thing. And what this passage leads us to ask is how often have we done the same? How often have we made those same assumptions, set our own limits on God's graciousness and compassion? Let's let this passage press on us a little bit. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Man, would I love to know what he was writing. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. And this passage is such a beautiful representation of the way that God walks with us, with everyone in the midst of our own brokenness. You know, the posture that God takes with us when we're confronted and exposed in our own sin. And this passage is also a heartbreaking reminder of why God's character being formed in us, you know, that flows from that deep connection with God is so important. Because do you ever read this passage and just be like, really, Pharisees? Really? How did we get here? It's time for some backstory. You know, I wish we had some sort of uh, sound effect for that. I'll make one up right now. Doodaloo, doodaloo, doodaloo. 
Here's the backstory. From the beginning, God has been in a conversation with his people about how to be in relationship with him. And while the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness after God rescued them from Egypt, God had a long talk with Moses about how God wanted his people to live into that relationship. And right in the middle of chapter after chapter after chapter of instructions, God says this to Moses in Leviticus 19, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And pretty much from then on, people have been trying to figure out how. The Israelites wrestled constantly with how to live into this way of life that had a really high bar. Not only did they have to be morally right before God, but they also had to be what's called ritually or ceremonially clean by not touching certain kinds of things as a way to honor and give reverence to God's presence. As you can imagine, there were a lot of things to do, a lot of things not to do, and a lot of things to do if you did the things you weren't supposed to do. This is essentially the book of Leviticus in a nutshell. Over time, uh, this pattern started to emerge in Israel's history. Uh, They'd turn away from God. Something bad would happen. They'd repent, and God would rescue them. Uh, But then they'd turn away again, and so on, over and over and over again, this pattern that ended in 400 years of silence. No prophets speaking to God's people. 400 years of silence being conquered and occupied by the Roman Empire. And, And there were a number of attempted military revolts to free Israel from the Romans, A couple of them were even modestly successful in the short term, but never really stuck. And right after the Maccabean revolt, you know, one of the larger ones, uh, there was a group of Israelites that said, you know what? This isn't the way. We know better. Haven't we learned anything from our history? We made this mess. And it is by returning to the way of life God laid out for us through Moses that we'll get out of it. It's not a bad idea, actually. And so they devoted themselves to studying the Jewish law and going to great lengths to keep it, even adding new and expanded layers to it in their minds to apply the law to their new and current context. These are the Pharisees. Not a bad group. In a lot of ways, trying to do a good thing. So how did things get to this point? where they think it's a good idea to drag this woman in front of everyone and say, uh, we're supposed to stone her, right? It's some sort of test for Jesus. And I'm sure that there's a longer answer. But this morning, here's what I want us to consider. That the Pharisees, uh, to some degree, saw God's law, the way God had called them to live, as a means to an end. They were trying to save Israel. They made a lot of really severe lifestyle modifications in order to live really strictly according to the law. They were doing all the law things, but in another interaction, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but there was no life on the inside. They were so busy doing all the law things, but they missed what the law was supposed to do in them. They did all the things, but they missed the transformation. 
the forming of God's character in them. How did the Pharisees get to this point? In their minds, they were following God, but in a way that fueled their pride, that created a real sense of self-achieved righteousness. You know that they had earned themselves by their own actions. I think they liked their position of power and influence and wanted to protect it. I think they felt threatened by Jesus and the way his teachings and their minds shifted away at that power and control. And I think they just had a fundamental misunderstanding of what God was doing in the world. I mean, Jesus was right in front of them. And of all people, you'd think they would get it. But they can't see him for who he is. And I think all those things can be summed up by saying, that the Pharisees had lost connection with God's heart, where that God-formed character flows from. And in their own self-righteousness, they set limits on God's grace and compassion and were blind to the fact that the God they were trying so hard to make happy so he would do what they wanted him to do was standing right in front of them. Here's what I want to offer us this morning. A reminder that we're no different. This passage leads us to wrestle with the reality that we can't think that we're doing Jesus types of things in the world. But if we live disconnected from the heart of God, we're no different. We move away from the character that God wants to form in us. And we start living in our own sense of self-righteousness. And we start setting limits on God's grace and compassion as well. I want to look back at how Jesus responds to this situation as we consider what invitation God has for us today, what God might be saying to us about how connected we are to his heart, what God might be saying to us about our own journey towards humility. As we love this passage for the way that Jesus responds to this woman who's so exposed and so vulnerable, how he turns away her accusers you know, that moment where he asks her where they all went. And if anyone there is left to condemn her, and she says, no, sir, no one. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. And go now and leave your life of sin. And we love this passage for the way that Jesus responds to this woman. But she is not the only one exposed in her sin, though. So are the Pharisees. In a way that's so infamous, uh, we're still talking about it thousands of years later. And see, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And what I love about Jesus, what I love about his kingdom, is that even though they were so wrong, so antagonistic, and in this moment so devastatingly misrepresentative of what Jesus came to do, what I love about Jesus is that he came to seek and save the lost. And that included the Pharisees too. And so he doesn't call down fire from heaven, although, let's be honest, when we read this passage, sometimes we want him to. I know I do. But what I see in Jesus' response to them challenges that impulse in me, makes me consider my posture towards the people I think are Pharisees in my life. Jesus' response humbles me. Because Jesus doesn't call down fire from heaven, He challenges the Pharisees to reflect on their own lives 
And he lays a trail for them through remembering their own sin to reconnect with the heart of God. To come home. To find life. And he does this time and time again in the Gospels. He spends time with the Pharisees over and over again, talks with them about what the law really means, what God really wants, reminds them of what's true and what's real. And Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And core to that is the reality that just like the Pharisees, none of us are without sin. And God loves us anyway, unconditionally. We didn't do anything to earn it. We don't deserve it. None of us do. And the more we live in connection with the Father, live connected to this reality on a daily basis, humility should start to take root in us. Humility that moves us in love and gratitude towards God and shapes how we interact with the people that God has placed in our lives and approach the things that God has called us to do. It should start to look more like what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 13. A little more patient, a little more kind, not envious, boastful, or proud. And we move away from dishonoring others or being self-seeking, easily angered, keeping a record of wrongs and instead towards protecting, towards hoping, towards believing and persevering and all of these things instead. And Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to make God's heart and intention in the world visible. And the Pharisees, for all their effort and intention, were living disconnected from that heart. And because of that, the reality that they were lost to. And this passage leads us to ask those same questions of ourselves. Are there areas in our lives where we're lost and we don't know it? Where we're living disconnected from God's heart, even if we don't think we are? Now, I want to offer just a couple of questions for reflection this morning. Uh, If now listening to this podcast isn't the right time to reflect on them, you can save it and come back to them later. Write them down in your journal or on a notepad and think about them over the course of the week. Uh, I want to encourage us to approach them with honesty and with courage. There's no condemnation. You're fully loved and fully known. But let's grapple with this this morning. Has the way that I follow Jesus, the way that I think about God's kingdom coming into the world, created in me an instinct to pick up a stone or even justified it? And why is that? Where does that come from? Who are the people in my life that I've been throwing stones at? with my words, with my attitudes, with my actions? How do I respond to the people in my life that are like the woman in this passage? How do I respond to the people in my life that are like the Pharisees in this passage? 
But how can the way that Jesus responds to both of them challenge me to do the same? That Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And, and you know, I think it's the moment when we recognize the ways that we're still lost, the ways that we need God in our lives, the things that open us up to live more fully surrendered to him. It's in the moments when we recognize the ways that we're still lost that God's be- that God begins to work most powerfully in and through us. And so in Highway Volume 2, oh, we want to be a community connected to the Father because it's there that we find the humility we need to pursue the mission of Jesus in the world together. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the way that you came into the world to show us how to truly live. What you want for us. What you want from us. Would you continue to form us into a people who live and love like you do? We love you. We thank you for loving us first. We pray these things in and for your name. Amen. Mm-hmm.